This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend warriors of Michigan politics and government. Obviously, coronavirus dominates everything in the news right now. And coronavirus is going to have a big impact, is having a big impact on Michigan public finances at the state level and at every level. But in the state, the legislature just two weeks ago passed some $150 million in emergency health and safety aid to uh, state and local governments because of the coronavirus epidemic, pandemic. And some people are saying, uh, well, you know, we got plenty of money. Revenues have been good. The economy's been good. But guess what? The economy isn't looking so good right now going forward. And the legislature passed some pork in a supplemental appropriations bill a couple of weeks ago that looked almost like we're not recognizing what's happening before our very eyes with state finances. Revenues are not going to be coming in as fast and hard as they have been, and our spending is going to increase. But others say, you know, no problem. We've got this plush $1.2 billion rainy day fund we can tap into. But there are some other voices of caution out there saying, wait a second, we've been down this road before. We've had the rainy day fund wiped out in one fell swoop in a hurry. Uh, Remember the Great Recession? That was 2008, 2009. And leading the front line uh, charge of resistance to this idea of raiding the rainy day fund is the Citizens Research Council. And we're very fortunate to have with us on the line here. Craig Thiel, he is the research director for the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. Welcome to the Political Insider, Craig Thiel. Uh, Good morning, Bill, and good morning to your listeners. Well, let me just ask you, just broadly, uh, how do you look at the state's financial situation right now and going forward uh, with respect to the Rainy Day Fund or whatever? Well, generally, the picture has changed uh, literally almost overnight, as has been the case with this pandemic, uh, just in terms of changing our normal way of life. And uh, public finance, especially at the state level, is no different. Um, You know, two, three weeks ago, uh, as your lead-in suggested, uh, there really weren't any dark clouds on the horizon when it came to a potential recession, which we can now almost guarantee will occur, uh, maybe teetering on what might be considered a depression uh, caused by this uh, contagion. Um, The contagion is obviously a public health concern first and foremost, but it has uh, effects on uh, governments and financing uh, governments and the important programs. So, uh, like I said, three weeks ago, uh, when the negotiations on this supplemental bill were were going on uh, and uh, it was loaded up with some uh, pet projects, there wasn't a concern uh, about the the revenue picture of the state. Um, The bill which uh, passed the legislature um, the week before 
um, really the, you know, what hit the fan here in Michigan is uh, awaiting Governor uh, Whitmer's signature. And uh, the Research Council uh, is saying out of an abundance of caution, let's back off. Um, let's uh, rethink some of these pork projects and uh, put a pause on them. Uh, there's about $37 million for about 80-plus uh, individual projects spread across the state, everything from road construction to picnic tables and park uh, uh, projects, library uh, uh, improvements, and uh, obviously uh, they were the negotiated as part of this supplemental. But that $37 million, um, will be needed uh, to fight this pandemic. Absolutely. And after this $37 million is dealt with in some way, shape, or form, and by the way, Gretchen Whitmer could line-item veto a lot of this stuff, as she did last year with a budget that the legislature sent her. Uh, still, uh, going forward, uh, we don't know what the impact is going to be of the declining revenues because of the coronavirus. Uh, what then? Well, that's exactly the case. Um, it's just now starting to hit our monthly revenue uh, collections. Um, the the state uh, will take a longer-term look at the effects of this um, on state revenues in May when uh, state officials convene for the um, biannual revenue estimating conference. Uh, they will examine, you know, what's the state of the U.S. economy, the Michigan economy, and how all that translates into uh, tax collections. And we'll have a, a, a clearer picture of both the, the damage done to date, but also a look forward to see uh, what damage is uh, coming in terms of future revenue collections. And it's not going to look good. And that's why, as you mentioned, the, the rainy day fund, um, that's a key item that uh, governments have when, you know, uh, the economy turns south, uh, disruptions occur, and uh, we're going to have to rely on that fairly heavily, uh, fairly quickly. Well, during economic contractions, as you know, Craig Thiel, governments often dip into their rainy day funds to maintain support for critical programs and projects. During the Great Recession, which I mentioned a few minutes ago, back around 2008-2009, Michigan's finances weren't even in that great shape going into that, and the state's rainy day fund was empty, provided a little relief to budget writers. Since then, during the course of eight years of Governor Rick Snyder and a Republican-controlled legislature, the state built up reserves totaling $1.2 billion in preparation for the next turn down, which looks like it's going to happen right now. And that amounts to less than one-half of the general fund revenue decline caused by the Great Recession. So, you know, how quickly, if things get as bad, let's say they get as bad uh, this time as they did during the Great Recession, uh, how quickly would that rainy day fund be exhausted and then what? Well, um, yeah, $1.2 billion to your listeners sounds like a very uh, big number, but uh, in the context of a almost $60 billion state budget. It is, uh, it's a fairly small piece of the pie. And uh, when you look at um, the combined uh, general fund, school aid fund, it's a little larger um, uh, source of revenue. Um, but, you know, our estimates are that rainy day fund, if it was the only uh, revenue source for state government to operate, it provide um, and, and current spending um, programs and uh, uh, appropriations, 
it would uh, last us a little over a month, about 40 days to operate state government, and then it would be exhausted. Now, of course, all the state tax revenue isn't going to dry up overnight, but we are going to see uh, substantial hits in income taxes and sales taxes with the slowdown in economic activity. And, um, you know, the, the revenue decline is because we have a, a requirement in our Constitution to balance the budget. We're going to have to match um, spending with the declined revenue. So that means cuts in programs or, as you suggest here, we might be able to dip into that rainy day fund to um, maintain some spending. But uh, the prudent for, uh, path forward is going to be a balanced approach uh, of both reassessing spending, which we're suggesting first order of business is look at the supplemental appropriation bill that contains these enhancement projects, um, and uh, maybe curtail some spending there, but also uh, looking forward what's on the books for future spending and see what is, you know, rises to the top in terms of our priorities and, and, and fund those items and the other ones wait for, for a better day. And then rely a little bit on uh, the rainy day fund to hold up our, our spending um, in the state budget. Let me provide a little more context. Our next fiscal year begins on October 1st. And so the legislature is going to have to come up with a budget for this next fiscal year. It sounds to me like you're saying they're just going to have to kind of fly by the seat of their pants and monitor this almost week to week, month to month, all spring long and into the summer as to what they have to operate with, right? And we're out of time. Yeah, I definitely see that, Bill, and I think the first order of priority is keeping the current year's budget in balance, and that's probably where the Rainy Day Fund is going to play its largest role. Uh, but clearly, uh, looking forward into the next fiscal year is, is going to be more challenging as well. Right. Listen, Craig Thiel, we could obviously keep going with this. Uh, Craig Thiel, Research Director for the Michigan Citizens Research Council. Thank you. Goodbye, Bill. We'll be back in a second. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. Let's take a pause here from our list of guests. Uh, I want to point out there are several stories out there that maybe haven't gotten quite as much attention uh, as they would be getting right now if coronavirus didn't exist. Uh, Unfortunately, we can't count on that. Uh, So let me just point out item number one, I'll call it. Uh, The coronavirus pandemic has obviously upended the Democratic presidential primary calendar. Remember that? Uh, Just three weeks ago, it was the news of the day. Now it's almost forgotten. Uh, Almost a dozen states have decided to delay their elections or move to all-mail balloting. New York State is both a delegate-heavy primary state and it's the epicenter of the pandemic in the United States. New York is scheduled to vote on April 28th. But officials are weighing changes, as I would think they would. Uh, The delays in holding primaries should not prevent the voters' will from being reflected in the results, but the changes will likely scramble the process of holding the state and local meetings that determine which people fill the delegate spots won by each candidate. Now, 
Let me just mention further Wisconsin, which is another key state because of the way it voted in 2016 narrowly for Donald Trump, like Michigan. They are scheduled to have their primary on April 7th, and right now they haven't canceled that. It's going ahead. They're voting already heavily absentee in advance of April 7th, but it's on tap to happen. But as of March 25th, just a few days ago, no fewer than 11 jurisdictions have done what in normal times would be unthinkable. They are delaying their primary election. Another three states have decided to go with all-mail balloting so that voters will not be forced to risk infection by congregating at physical polling places. These changes will obviously affect the remainder of the presidential nomination race between former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. A delegate selection process that was supposed to be officially over by June 6th now will extend until at least June 23rd. Election officials in all these states have been forced to scramble not just over voting dates, but also over what types of voting methods are safe and effective in the midst of a pandemic. The uncertainty is affecting countless other races, including congressional seats, statewide posts, and local offices. I'll just mention that several Michigan legislators have called for the May election here in Michigan to be canceled. But so far, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson says she intends for that election to go forward, but maybe entirely with absentee voting. So we'll see how that works out. Item number two, uh, another unintended consequence of coronavirus nobody is actually paying any attention to. Surely there must be a bill in the legislative hopper to allow candidates for Congress here in Michigan and the judiciary to qualify to run this year by paying a filing fee instead of collecting signatures, right? Well, if not, somebody must have tipped off some of the candidates for these congressional and judicial offices that help us on the way. Otherwise, you would think they'd be screaming for action. But so far, crickets. Under Michigan law, let me remind you, the only candidates who cannot get on the ballot by paying a filing fee are governor. We don't have a governor election this year. U.S. Senate, we do have one. Congress, that means the U.S. House of Representatives, and judicial offices other than incumbents in any office or candidates for the state Supreme Court. But obviously, right now, in the midst of a pandemic statewide lockdown, it's impossible to collect signatures. So how can anybody run for court of appeals where 6,200 signatures minimum are needed or Congress, except for people who have already collected theirs, mainly their incumbents. There's no path forward to April 23rd, which is the 
deadline for filing these petitions, which, as I say, may be devoid of signatures, meaning the candidates cannot qualify for the ballot. So even for relatively low-level judicial candidates, let's say district court or probate court, who need just a few hundred, it's turning into a nightmare. Political observers keep telling the hapless would-be judges that the legislature is bound to act to correct an obvious injustice. But it would be a lot more convincing if somebody could point to a bill that's actually moving in the legislature. Well, one has been introduced. I think it's House Bill 5906. But the legislature is now out of session. And it's almost impossible to believe that somehow it could get back into session, quickly pass a bill that could be signed by Governor Whitmer in time for the April 23rd deadline. So something will also have to be done, I'll mention, for third parties and independent candidates, or else certainly the federal courts will be brought into action. Item number three, uh, we've hoped that there would be a coming together of the political parties and various political office holders on a partisan basis. There would be more bipartisanship, but we have already seen the fault lines develop, uh, sniping back and forth between President Trump and Governor Whitmer. We've seen the fault lines show up here in Michigan with questions over whether Governor Whitmer has done too much or too little uh, with respect to her executive order uh, shutting down uh, state government and a kind of a statewide lockdown. Uh, I'll just mention there is a group of six House of Representative Democrats in the state legislature who decided, uh, and I'm going to quote from their leader, Abdullah Hamoud, a Democrat of Deerporn, quote, we need strong leadership in this uncertain time. And that means getting our public health institutions and families the resources they need to weather the storm. Well, what does that mean? Well, they've introduced a huge package of bills that they contend goes a long way to ensure that everyone has access to care and is protected from losing their wages. And they had a press conference. They announced they're introducing these bills. There are no Republicans among them, even though Republicans are the majority in the legislature. I tried to get all six of them, any one of the six, to be on this program to support what they're doing, whether it means anything more than political histrionics and grandstanding, but none would appear on the program. Couldn't get them. So we'll get back to that particular Venture by these House Democrats in a few minutes. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned and we have on the other line with us David Gunther, who is senior strategist for state affairs with the Mackinac Center for Public Policy located in Midland. Thank you for being with us, David Gunther. It's a privilege to be here this morning. I'm glad to have an excuse to talk to live human <laughs> beings uh, in this, uh, this time. 
Well, let me start out by just briefly mentioning what I closed the last segment with, and that is this package of eight bills and one resolution introduced by Democrats in the State House of Representatives without any Republican supporters. Um, I'm not sure why they're doing this, uh, but they seek to create a pandemic preparedness plan, restore paid leave, cover the uninsured, cover wage loss, otherwise curb the costs of COVID-19 treatment and prevention. Uh, The House resolution they're introducing will also urge Congress to provide financial support in the effort to combat the novel coronavirus, which, as we all know by now, is being done uh, as we speak. So let me just ask you, what is your reaction to these six House Democrats doing this without any input from what I can see from Republicans who control the majority in both chambers of the Michigan legislature or, for that matter, from Governor Whitmer. What do you think? You see one of these packages almost every week where it's not about passing the law. It's about putting the marker out for the future as far as political platform, campaigning, things of that sort. Maybe these are things that they might be able to get their caucus to do next year if they're able to pick up the five seats to win the House. But you pick up on a big point. In the current landscape in Lansing, where you have Republican majorities in both houses of the legislature and you have a a Democratic governor and executive branch, that if you don't have Republican authors on some of the bills in these packages, you're not going to get the governor's signature. If you don't have Republican, if you don't have Democratic votes on the bills, then you're not going to be able to uh, uh, get her signature. If If you don't have Republicans on the bill, you don't get a hearing. So that's something that groups across the spectrum have had to figure out, okay, we have our wish list, we have our priorities, where are angles or wrinkles where we're able to find support from the other side? And those are the packages that move. If you had, if this was going to have any traction at all, uh, if you had the six bills, you would have at least three of them with Republican authors. And on the sponsor line, probably you would have closer to 50-50. Looking at the names that are the authors on most of the bills and the sponsors, uh, the authors of the bills, by and large, tend not to get their stuff heard in the House because they don't talk much or work well with their colleagues across the aisle. And a lot of the folks you see on the sponsor lines of the bills tend to sign on to everything that gets pitched to them by the colleagues in their party. So um, there's a there's a strategy that you have to employ to be able to get your ideas moving forward in the process, and none of that's apparent. David Gunther. David Gunther, your colleague, Vincent Bernuccio, uh, who is a senior fellow for the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, he blasted uh, an effort by Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives about a week ago uh, when they introduced a 1,400-page bill loaded with provisions that 
he said were a grab bag of policies that have nothing to do with the coronavirus or helping the economy. Uh, is this pretty much kind of the same thing at the federal level that you've just described happening at the state level? Yeah, although I think you have with that particular phenomenon in D.C., you had people trying to leverage a specific crisis and know that there's a must-pass bill and trying to throw all sorts of stuff into the negotiations uh, if it's leaving. I would say the, the better analogy for that would be the coronavirus supplemental bill that passed in the Michigan legislature that had about $150 million of actual coronavirus uh, response items, but then also had these quote-unquote, um, uh, I forget what the technical term, enhancement grants, uh, where, you know, in one case, there was a representative who put out a press release about getting 500000 for a fire station in his district that didn't have a change room for a woman firefighter. And here we are going into a hopefully short-duration economic crisis where most, if not all, of our state revenue sources are going to go over the cliff. And instead of hoarding our cash and cutting non-essential items, we are bragging about building changing rooms in small city fire stations with state money. David Gunther, uh, the Mackinac Center, I believe, has also just come out, and I think maybe you are the mastermind behind this, a a list of what you describe as the right responses, uh, including prudent short-term expenditures and reprioritizations targeted at people affected by the coronavirus pandemic, along with relaxations of government authority that improve our ability to both respond to the current crisis and bolster the subsequent economic recovery. You have some to-do policies and some not-to-do policies. It's a long list, but will you get started on it and tell our listeners what is in your to-do and not-to-do list of priorities to combat the coronavirus and the economic uh, crisis that afflicts state and federal government at this point? I think you've got three categories of recommendations that we tried to capture in our overall themes. One is uh, smart spending of limited state resources. Second is elimination of uh, regulatory barriers that limit access to health care during this crisis, and also uh, getting rid of other, other dumb regulations that are are causing problems. On the fiscal side of things, as you're well aware, the Mackinac Center takes a backseat to no one in terms of fiscal hawkishness, that we are very staunchly uh, limited government. Uh, But at the same time, we have been counseling legislators for years, save up for a rainy day, don't spend all the money now. That rainy day is here. And so we've, over the last decade, because legislators have shown discipline with our state revenues, we've got a little bit more than a billion dollars in the rainy day fund and then a few hundred million dollars in general fund balances. We are going to need to spend 
from those funds now. The unemployment claims last week went from 5,000 to 130,000 in Michigan. You've got business closures all over the place. I'm seeing estimates that nationally, uh, second quarter GDP could be anywhere from minus 20 to minus 30 percent. Great depression or great recession, I think we bottomed out around minus six. So we're going to have at least three months, possibly as long as six months, where you're not going to have sales tax coming in like it was. You're not going to have auto motor vehicle sales. You're not going to have gas tax. You're not going to have lottery ticket sales. And we're going to be trying to figure out how to how to pay for the COVID response and deal with other things. So legislators need to be starting the work now of figuring out what is unessential in other areas and reprioritizing those to fill other essential needs. Okay, we got to take a quick break, but we will be back with David Gunther, who is Senior Strategist for State Affairs for the Mackinac Center. Stay tuned. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back with David Gunther. He is Senior Strategist for State Affairs for the Mackinac Center. And I want to get into the to-do policies and not-to-do policies. We got hardly any time to talk about them. Uh, You had 13 to-do policies. I'm just going to mention the first four and let you react to that. You say... We ought to waive or repeal certificate of need. You say we ought to promote telemedicine. You say we ought to cut occupational licensing red tape. And you say we ought to allow emergency license reciprocity between states. You want to talk about those? These are about making sure that we have enough hospital beds, enough medical facilities, enough medical professionals to provide care to the people of Michigan. These are issues that we have identified and flagged for years, been trying to get the legislature to change. Thankfully, the uh, Senate moved a couple of months ago to pass a package of bills that would start to address the certificate of need problem. They've not had a chance to be heard in the House yet. But these are issues that we have seen as becoming a problem for a long time. And now that we're having to deal with COVID, even the governor is recognizing, okay, these are interfering with our ability to respond to this. So she has waived a lot of these uh, regulations on a temporary basis. We believe they ought to be repealed, that there are things that we can do by making it easier for medical licensed medical professionals to move their practices here from another state, whether temporarily or permanently, uh, to allow easier for uh, medical providers to add facilities and and things of that sort, especially also uh, the emergency license reciprocity. The idea is more access, more flexibility to provide care that Michiganders need. Okay, I'm just going to riffle through the remaining to-do policies, uh, and you can comment on any of them you want to, but one of them is keep all businesses possible open. You say separate COVID-19 items from other supplemental appropriations. You say spend some of our state reserves. 
Uh, you've talked about the rainy day fund already. You say cut non-essential spending now. You say extend regulatory deadlines. You say suspend or repeal the bottle deposit law. You say promote online blended learning. You say state government ought to encourage what is called a balanced calendar, meaning to waive or rescind barriers such as the Labor Day start date that precludes school districts from adopting such a calendar. And you say defend the state's lawsuit challenging the Line 5 tunnel. Uh, You want to comment on any of those? Well, I just want to make clear uh, that we are talking about defunding the lawsuit, taking the money away instead of defending the Line 5 lawsuit. Line 5, we need to get the tunnel built. We need to get the uh, uh, pipeline uh, secured under under the straits uh, so that we can make sure we've got a reliable, safe energy supply for the future. Uh, the, depodal, the bottle deposit law is something that a lot of people had not been thinking about prior to this. Think about how many people handle the used bottles and what germs you have that are in there. And we are taking them and we are returning those to our grocery stores that are literally feet away from the food supply that all of us need. So the retailers had been pushing for the governor to suspend uh, the uh, bottle deposit law. But over the weekend, uh, when it became clear that that wasn't going to happen, they decided on their own, look, we're not accepting any bottles until this is over. And so that's become a huge problem. And the dirty secret about things like that are that – a lot of the recyclables that we're collecting now wind up going to the landfill anyway because you don't have the, the market and, and the Chinese aren't buying those you know, recyclable materials anymore. So that's just a, 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 a dumb policy that Michigan ought to look to get rid of when the legislature comes back into session. Education-wise, we are realizing that the rigidity of the one-size-fits all model is not working in the current environment. We need to make sure that we are taking advantage of new technologies for online blended learning, moving in the direction toward competency-based education, where we've got modules that are available for students if we have class interruptions, such as not only pandemics like this, but if we've got a multi-day snowstorm or, or a weather-related emergency. Also, the balanced calendar, we have the concern that you have is if we wind up in a situation where we have to cancel school for the next couple of months, that there will be a six-month period where some students may not have any classroom instruction at all. Having a balanced calendar would mean that instead of having a three-month break in the middle of the year where students forget the content, that you have maybe a one-month break three different times through the year so that you have more of the memory retention and teachers being able to move uh, quicker through content. We are talking to David Gunther of the Mackinac Center. You have nine not-to-do policies that you have listed. I'm going to tick them off quickly, and you just comment as you see fit. First, you say create ongoing financial obligations with one-time funds. You say focus on price gouging to the detriment of consumers. You say suspend government transparency requirements. 
You say make permanent or long-term changes to unemployment eligibility. Uh, Remember, these are not to do things that you're listing, Uh, not to do raise taxes or add complexity to Michigan's tax code. Uh, Don't offer targeted tax relief or subsidy programs to businesses. Uh, Don't cancel K-12 testing. Don't suspend or roll back Michigan's third grade reading law. Do not allow local governments to ban plastic bags. So what about all that? Price gouging is a is, is, is a rhetorical tool, but it's bad economics. There's no such thing as price gouging. There's only price signals. When you see spikes such as we're experiencing now, that's because people want more of a product than is available. When you allow prices to float, you're sending the message to you're sending the signal to suppliers. Hey, you need to produce more and send more of this item here. Consumers get the signal. Hey unless you absolutely have to have this right now, you might want to hold off until we get this figured out. But when you have politicians and regulators posturing about price gouging, as you have elected officials in both parties doing right now, the result of that's empty store shelves, and no one winds up getting the product at any price. And so there was a great piece on NPR, uh, you can do a search for, are high, ma- high mask prices the problem or the solution that explains it pretty well? And I even saw an article this morning from uh, a trade association in Texas, uh, the Southwest Cattle Raisers. Uh, there's no shortage of beef, so why are the meat cases empty? That explains the challenges that you have when a uh, supplier is used to spending 100 or sending 100,000 cases of a product, and all of a sudden overnight they've got to ramp up to 500,000. You've got to double or triple shifts. You've got to find out how to get more trucks. There are delays in getting uh, the, the trucks loaded and supplied and back, a variety of other things. What we've seen is where we've allowed markets to work and we've gotten rid of, of dumb restrictions, you've had breweries and distilleries get into the market of producing hand sanitizer to meet consumer need. You've had... I think one state in particular I saw that they had an executive order that allowed licensed pharmacists to make hand sanitizer. When we've done those sorts of things and allowed the market to respond in that way, you've had more of the product get there, the prices and supply stabilize, and people are able to get the product. So just don't do a overreaching regulatory punishment approach when you have a, a, a sudden spike in prices. Yeah, we're just about out of time, but I'll just say that some people are calling for canceling K-12 testing and suspending or rolling back Michigan's third grade reading law that is kicking into effect this year. What about those? There's, we're, we're not at the point where we're talking about canceling the rest of the school year. Hopefully it winds up not being that conversation, and certainly there are regions of the state where the current caseloads would absolutely not justify that. With the point, the the final point on uh, the third grade reading law, if we wind up having to to undo the rest of the school year, a better approach would be to let the students who are in the third grade advance to the fourth grade, but make them show that they can read at grade level uh, by the end of next year. That was David Gunther, Senior Strategist for State Affairs at the Mackinac Center. He did a great job explaining your long list 
of to-dos and not-to-dos in the light of the coronavirus pandemic. Thank you, David Gunther, for being our guest. Appreciate it. Look forward to visiting again. We will be back next week with more.